Welcome to Session Central. Hey, Kieran. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Um, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate you spending some time with me and, and answering my questions. Yeah, no problem. Is, is it like a new podcast or...? Yeah, man. I've done a few already where I interview active guitarists. And yeah. I tend to do this in two parts where I focus on... Uh, well, your career for the first half, and then for the second half, hopefully you giving advice to people wanting to get into this kind of work, like what tips you can give, and hopefully sort of sharing your experience with people, if that's okay? Yeah, sure, yeah. Cool. So for you, in terms of your career, where did your guitar playing career begin? Like, When did you start playing guitar? Um, I started playing when I was about ten and a half. Yeah. Uh, my dad played sort of common common scenario and uh he played uh, at my local church actually and my brother played drums there and i felt really left out so i wanted to take up guitar all right cool so your local church was that yeah yeah so i've i've played in church for kind of a, a long time really i don't do it so much now because it's uh you know working on a saturday night doesn't doesn't work too well with playing on a sunday morning but <laughs> cool and um, what kind of um so is it gospel music so i know with them um, p- playing in the church the music can vary depending on what kind of church yeah. it is so what um what kind of music was it well at, at that time um then they were just playing kind of you know christian rock or whatever no, nothing nothing particularly interesting yeah. uh, but uh when i got to about 14 uh i, I was then sort of taking that more seriously we were at a, a different church then bigger church and um so there was a kind of more room for especially with with the conferences to play kind of uh more difficult pieces even even maybe sometimes just cover popular sort of secular songs and then when i was at uni i was playing at a, more of a gospel church so i did get to have have fun playing that sort of music as well nice and um yeah you said you went to um a university which university was that I went to the Academy of Contemporary Music, ACM, in Guildford. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, well, I go to BIM. Um, h- how did you? How was that experience for you? Did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, I, I think it was. It was largely uh, the the teachers that were there at the time. Uh, a lot of whom are not currently there, um, so I can't comment so much on how it would be now. Um, but it, the teachers were particularly good more than the course content was and just having dedicated a couple of years because uh, it was it was the intensive degree so it's 90 weeks in two years I believe it's still the same instead of 90 weeks in three years so I was just there for a couple of years mm. and um, that was obviously just you know being surrounded by music and kind of a hotbed of talent and um, that's that's pretty helpful as I'm sure you found it been yeah definitely and yeah because like being around musicians you just start projects you'd never think you'd probably be involved with when you first go there yeah so what kind of projects were you involved with at acm (laughs) well i I really tried to get involved with pretty much everything that i could um except for you know metal pretty much (laughs) i mean yeah I i have dabbled in metal when i was a teenager but um uh, yeah, I was trying to play in function bands. Uh, I was trying to play for artists. I was starting to get some theatre work, which was uh, separate from ACM, sort of travelling into London a bit for that. Um, and yeah, like I said, I was playing at that gospel church, so there were events involved with that and things. Um, 
so yeah cool and um, you obviously saying you got into theatre work um, what productions were you involved with at this time um, so I'm trying to think what started it it was a show called After the Turn um, I mean I, I've never really been heavily into the theatre stuff but it's just I kind of get asked I keep getting asked to do it and um, I mean it's it's not a particular uh, secret to people who work with me that I'm not like massively interested in it but I've I've done a reasonable stint of it um so i got this show after the turn which was like a fringe theater show and that was through somebody who i used to know from from cambridge which is where i'm from and went to school and stuff yeah and uh he was like assistant md on it so it was kind of a small thing but the musicians on it were like you know they've all gone on to to be west end musicians basically uh they all have west end shows now um or, or have had so we, we did like 23 nights in Shoreditch with that. Um, and then that led for me, for me to do a few other shows, it, not, not immediately. Um, but, uh, having, having kind of done that, I understood how it worked and I was called to death on a few things. I mean, like pantomimes and, uh, Woking New Victoria theater, stuff like that. And then yeah. you meet more people. And then eventually, uh, I got a show playing, um, uh in brighton in fact uh, i'm trying to remember the name of the venue uh it's, it's an arena in brighton um yeah i can't remember it right now um and then that same show the following year went to wembley ssc arena in london wow uh, which was amazing and then i got involved with um jersey boys uh i was i was covering on jersey boys um with guitar one um brian from that is now the the, the main guitar player for motown um, and, uh, I'm not, I'm not covering on that. Um, but Jersey boys, I was covering on, and then they asked me to take it over because he got Motown, but I actually said no, because, uh, a couple of reasons. One is cause I was, um, kind of in a serious relationship, which meant I didn't want to be away all the time. Yeah. And the other one was that, um, I just didn't really want theater to be my main thing. Okay. And what was, um, the Jersey Boys. How, in terms of like work, like working life in Jersey Boys, how was it? Um, well, it's it's very similar to any other um, show in that um, you go for kind of two weeks to one venue, let's say Oxford, um, and you'll be there for I don't know. Uh, so it's, it's kind of eight shows a week, I think. So you get one day a week off. I think it was uh was it mondays they had off um and you'll 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 have sort of uh two days where there's a matinee so on on those days you know the band tends to just go to the the pub between between uh shows and stuff like that it's it's just kind of really normal normal thing just kind of hanging out obviously you've got your dressing room where you'll hang out as well um there's you know you get the cast to kind of come early and warm up and things so i would go and practice uh in the the pit and things like that yeah uh, when, when they were doing that with my headphones on yeah sounds fantastic there's lots of almost camaraderie between all of you musicians yeah yeah so what essential skills do you feel that you had or what skills did you feel you needed to have in order to uh, work in this area <laughs> yeah um well, obviously the sight reading is important, but yeah. um, having said that, um, I am aware of, um, you know, the show We Will Rock You. Yeah. Um, 
in London. I know they've had, uh, I think at least, well, definitely at least one, but I think two um, guitar players on that who didn't read music at all. Really? Um, yeah, and I, I'm very impressed by that um, because the the amount of cues that you have to follow is, I mean, it's, it's not the same as just uh, memorizing some pieces of music. You've got to be on it with the cues and there's a lot of small information and, and very strange happenings in theatre scores. So not very easy to do that. Now, what kind of cues are we talking about? Are we talking about just uh, looking around for visual cues or cues on the score? Um, yeah, so basically uh, you'll have a lot of sections where, for one thing, you're tasseting for a long time where you're, where you're not playing, for example. Yeah. Um, so you'll be looking out for certain cues from the MD. Um, you might have uh, written in your part. Um, it's often your own responsibility to mark these sorts of things down. So, um, for example, you might write down what an actor says um, soon before you need to come in. And then you might have, like in Jersey Boys, there's one where there's basically um, – a change where the MD will just bring his hand down. Uh, in fact, there's, there's a, a few of them. Um, and at the point he brings his hand down, you're into a new song. But he, in, in one of the ones in Jersey Boys, he actually does it halfway through a beat. So it's not, it, it's really strange, basically. You've got like a bar of seven that comes in somewhere and this is cued. Um, and it's it's really not as simple as you might think until you, until you see it, um, it to, to, to do that without it all written down would be difficult. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like a real challenge. If you know, if you're if you're new to it, it sounds like a whole different ball game. Yeah, I mean, just following the MDs signals. Uh, if you work with different MDs, um, obviously that means musical director. They uh, they will have d- different ways of doing it. Uh, for example, when I did the, the Wembley thing, we had a conductor because it was with an orchestra as well, which is a little bit more unusual for um, for sort of that sort of show. It was like a rock kind of show that had an orchestra. Yeah. Um, and it, following where he wants the beat to be is a bit difficult because you've got the orchestra who will always tend to play behind the beat. They'll always be slightly late on the beat. Yeah. And then you've got like the rock band. And so you've got a drummer who's trying to, you know, really lay it down. Um, and you've got the conductor and it's, it's not when he brings his hand down that the beat happens. The beat, it, the beat is happening. He's feeling it where he flicks his hand. It's not where he puts it down. It's kind of a bounce to it. Yeah. Lots of things like that to, to get to know. Yeah. Awesome. And how long, um, did it take you to really adapt to this situation when you were first new to the game? Um, well, I'd say the first show I did, I mean, I was guitar two. Um, so the guitar one guy um, who, who is is the guy who I got the Jersey Boys thing from later, like three years later, um, he uh, was really experienced. He'd done a lot of shows uh, and was like five years older than me. Um, so I kind of would ask him some questions and uh and I just see how other people did things, how they marked things on their scores in rehearsals and stuff like that. Um, but when you come to Depp on a show, it's different because you don't get any rehearsals at all. Um, and and that is that is a challenge as, as well that's a bit different to get used to. Um, <laughs> kind of have to find your own way with that. Yeah, and I'm interviewing other people. They say pretty much the same thing. They say that the Depp gig is so much harder than well if you were the first chair uh yeah it's yeah it is it is much more difficult um the guy who's got the chair will have been there in the rehearsals Mm -hmm. um 
uh, if he's been there since the beginning of the show. So he'll have worked out how the guitar is and he will have most likely changed the guitar parts from what's written because there's not very many arrangers who uh, write the guitar parts for shows who actually fully understand the guitar. It's yeah. not an easy instrument to, to write for, really, if you're coming from a classical point of view or whatever. Um, so you have to you have to study the recordings. Um, in, in the case of the Jersey Boys stuff, then um, there was actually um, a lot of backing vocals involved, um, which is, uh, I, I'd say, about 75% of the show, possibly 80%. Uh, has backing vocals so you are reading the backing vocals which is just simply the words you have to memorize the melody for that because it's not it's not difficult to do that Uh, but you're reading that while reading the guitar stuff and then there's a lot of um, pedal controls to to read as well Um, so when I was learning it for depping I made a dummy kind of board at home which we it wouldn't produce the sounds they had but it just meant my feet were in the same position as his yeah um, and i would try and uh, they give you for example out of 20 what your volume should be so at this point it's seven then it's 13 and so on uh and they have a a visual mark um a kind of thing next to the score which tells you what volume you're on and so learning to control that as well as playing the notes as well as hitting the right sounds uh requires a lot of work at home as well yeah definitely sounds like you yeah that's multitasking to the extreme yeah, I mean, you just you just practice it for for a lot of time. Um, my uh, one of my main kind of, I suppose, uh, mentors when I was at ACM is a guy called Carl Orr, um, okay. and he's uh, he plays at Ronnie's regularly with the Late Show and things like that. But he also is, has done shows uh, like me. He's kind of less interested in shows long term, um, but he's he's always done a bit of it to, to earn money obviously and uh he he told me uh when i was at SM that it, it would take him about 40 hours to get a show down and i've found that to be quite accurate that if you really want to get the show nailed you probably need to put in about 40 hours wow wow yeah Just, i mean it's it's, it's yeah. not that long, is it it's like it's like five times uh eight eight hour days or something like that uh, but who who really has that time you've got to try and fit it around other things haven't you yes yeah so realistically if you were busy that's well best part of a month uh yeah yeah longer. it could easily be um but people are not looking to i mean they the guys of the show that they, they want you to succeed anyway so um they had me with the Jersey Boy stuff sit in twice at two different theatres because depending on the theatre, the actual setup can change slightly in terms of how much space you have and how cramped the pit is and things. Um, and so I was able to watch it twice and they sent me the audio and, and some video to watch, like, for example, video of the MD so you can get to know his cues. Mm. Um, and I probably had, uh, yeah, three or four weeks to learn the stuff. Wow. Yeah, really, it's really interesting to see that the MDs will actually really give you as many resources as possible so that you can actually perform the show to the best of your ability. Yeah, I mean, in this case, um, the it was the guitar player who was giving that to me, and that would be standard practice that he had that. But I'm assuming that the MD helps, um, you know, helps him collate that because um, I've not been in the same situation myself where I've got the chair on a on a uh, national touring show um, and 
and made the debt pack, if you know what I mean. So I'm not fully sure how they come up with it, but yeah cool well that's really informative i think that's really insightful into the area of work so moving on from this where did um after the jersey boys where what was the next thing um well to be honest i was doing things all the way through alongside all of this stuff yeah um so it's kind of a um kind of a, a different stream like that that's my theater stream which i earn money from at different at different times and then i've also got um like functions has been a really strong thing uh and then there's artist work um and there's you know i, I do some teaching and uh i'm doing like youtube and finger style guitar gigs now solo gigs and things like that um so it's kind of different streams really <laughs> Cool. So you said artists. What kind of artists um, did you begin to work with? Um, well, I think as, as as most people who go somewhere like BIM or ACM find, then there's there's always singer songwriters there who are either starting out or or if you're lucky, then some of them might already be getting some traction. So I started playing with uh, some people from ACM, uh, for example, just even for like. Uh, you know, final performances. I remember playing for a girl uh, called Paula, who I, I thought was really good at the time, and she she is good. She's she's active as a professional musician, um, and I played for her final performance. I thought it was really cool that you know she didn't know me, but she'd kind of you know decided that someone who recommended me was going to get me in. It kind of feels professional, um, and then you get to kind of obviously starting to play some actual paid gigs for for other artists uh, i think the first artist that i really started to get that was actually paying me properly um which is still not a lot of money really but <laughs> yeah. to get paid to play for an artist is quite expensive for them mm. um, uh, was was someone uh called vassi um and that was when i first kind of finished acm and moved back to the cambridge area i made a website it's a good thing to do and yeah. she found me on google and um, she's been hiring me ever ever since actually to record on her songs um, and also to play live kind of around places like Camden and um, Shoreditch and places like that. Yes, sounds like good fun. And yeah, it, it, it progressed as well. Um, when I, uh, I, I'd say kind of partly how I've come to understand that it works is that your peer group moves up together. Um, so I started to get friends who would get better gigs if you see what I mean with artists yeah um, uh, like I remember a guitar player got the gig for Blue uh, the the boy band Blue yeah. um, and I don't think he's doing that now like they toured China and things and so, so gradually people start to get things and it's kind of like oh if they if they call me to death at some point that's going to help me out too and I can call them to death for such and such so it's kind of doing favors for each other but it's like not you don't necessarily do it expecting anything in return but just being aware to kind of to seek to be in stay in touch with people um so so that that gospel church i was playing at uh, in guildford then um two of the guys from there were kind of you know born and bred gospel musicians and they got a gig um with this artist yolanda brown yeah uh, and that is one of the main artists now that I am working with. Um, and 
through through her she's collaborated with people like uh, Lamar and um, Matt Cardle who won X Factor Radio, um, Levi Roots who's famous for his reggae reggae sauce stuff like cool. that so at some point that may lead to a kind of working more with with one of them if they like playing with me uh, but at the moment I'm kind of playing a lot for her we're doing a lot of touring this year whereabouts are you touring um well uh we're actually doing a gig um we're, we're flying in a couple of days to go to new orleans to do this um unusual gig uh which um kind of involves this guy uh john cleary um who's a piano player in new orleans so I've, I've been into him for quite a long time actually um yeah. it's, it's to do with this uh british airways event that's going on and stuff and uh he, he john is playing at uh, the mardi gras festival in new orleans so we're gonna hang out with him while he does that um but our gig is is a kind of a slightly different thing for ba that he's also involved in and then we're we're going to australia in july um for it's only about sort of six or seven days but they're they're trying to arrange um some dates in japan directly after that which are not confirmed and they're also talking about maybe new zealand as well wow Wow. Um, we're doing the UK though, we're doing loads in the UK. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, I was gonna say that sounds amazing. Definitely the the New Orleans thing, I think. For any musician, especially playing well, going down the the R and B ish route, I mean New Orleans is the is an amazing place to actually put this music into practice. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, that sounds fantastic. And I've heard you played with Femi Tomowo. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That was um, so. We, uh, I I kind of had a band um, with um, some some guys uh, who were all kind of gospel musicians, um, run by a guy called uh, Feromir Ogan Shando. A bit difficult to to write to spell that one. Yeah, uh, and he's he's now doing quite a lot of production work in London. But he's just phenomenal drummer. And uh, he got involved with playing for Fermi tomorrow, um, depping on some of his gigs, which is really heavy because he was depping for um, Troy Miller um, and um, trying to remember the uh, Ernesto Simpson, I think his name is, um, who, who are two absolutely top um, jazz and, and also pop guys uh, mm. in London. Uh, so what he did when we were we were doing a couple of tours with our band called The Outlanders, who was no longer no longer happening yeah um, but Femi Tomorrow guested at a couple of our concerts and I was just playing you know guitar guitar too um but he was really uh kind of he's, he's a hard guy to impress but he, he's also wants to kind of input into you as well um, yeah I, I know he's done quite a lot of teaching so I guess he's of that persuasion yeah because he's really into his um jazz almost rootsy African music yeah, he's got a very unique uh, voice. He plays um, for his own music, uh, at least at that time. He was playing a lot of nylon string guitar, which I believe he still does. But he, when he's at Ronnie Scott's and things like that, um, he was quite involved in hosting The Late Show uh, for a while, and uh, I think, and he was playing more uh, steel string electric at that point. But he plays nylon string a lot. Cool. And yeah, you said he's quite a hard guy to impress. Did you ever get a chance to properly talk to him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we kind of uh, hung out um, at both those gigs, like before the gig and that sort of thing. Uh, I think I've run into him at some other events where I wasn't playing with him as well. Um, but he I, I was messing around with um, the song Giant Steps um, at the time, uh, you know, the, the jazz tune. Yeah. Uh, 
I didn't like, kind of really know it, um, but I uh, when was this? This was like twenty, maybe it was twenty twelve, I think. Um, so I was just in the process of kind of learning it. So I was just playing the head in sound check with the other guys in the band. We were just messing around, and he kind of heard us, uh, and he said, "Oh, Dave, you shouldn't um, you shouldn't play that unless you can really actually play it." Uh, and he was like, "Go and go away and transcribe the uh, uh, the John Coltrane solo." Or like a, you know at least sixteen bars of it, and then then like let me hear that. So I recorded on YouTube. It's still on there. Like uh, I think I think it was the whole John Coltrane solo. Um, if, if not, it was about three choruses or something. Um, kind of memorized that, played it along with the original recording or, or something like that, and sent it to him to look at. And you know he said good job, and then he gave me some feedback. I think he was trying to say I could get it tighter or something. Yeah. But, which for me was like, oh, I, I thought it was as tight as I could get it. So now I need to go away and practice it more. Mm. Um, but it was really great that like, yeah, that he took an interest. Definitely. No, I did check that out before this interview. I, I was impressed. Oh, well, the giant step thing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was great. Like, like it's something yeah, I'm sort of trying to look into, but it's such like an intimidating prospect to actually yeah play giant steps because that that is the that is the big one isn't it yeah i mean it's with the jazz stuff um i don't know if it's something you want to talk about or not but there's there's kind of it's it's a really long process with um kind of different areas of jazz to get down (laughs) Mm. yeah yeah cool um if we can talk about you playing in function bands yeah yeah so i'm guessing did you start playing function bands through the people you met at acm yeah, I started doing functions as quickly as I could there. So, um, it, it, I mean, I, I came in the September, I guess it would have been 2010. And then I got my first, you know, London function or whatever when I was in the March of it, of that um, same academic year. Um, and then we, I think the following summer, so the break between first and second years, we went out to Nice in France before, I mean, it sounds glamorous and it kind of, kind of was cool but the accommodation was so so bad mm, <laughs> um, yeah. there were like cockroaches and stuff like that but um but we were we were in nice which was amazing for seven days playing there and we were starting to get uh, weddings as well and things um and I, i've been through a few function bands um so they you know they some of them fizzle out and things like that and when you're students as well then it's not necessarily going to be a long-term thing if you're in a function band there so I've been through a few and, and now I've got um, like I, I run one myself, um, which is more of the jazz persuasion. I play in someone else's very active uh, London kind of swing band. And then I cover cool. throughout the year in probably uh, maybe around six or seven other function bands. Cool. And are all these function bands relatively uh, or broadly similar? Because I know your main ones are of a sort of have a jazzier vibe to it. Are the other ones jazzy as well, or are they, are they a bit more pop oriented? Yeah, I do some of the the straight up pop ones. Um, like there's uh, there's an agency called Ear Candy who I've I think I've covered for three of their bands at different times, um, and there's only kind of one of them that I still regularly do it for. But they they have um, they're all pop and they have um, backing tracks that that they have play alongside you. So they've got, I don't know what they've done. They've like got sampled the original tracks or bought the original stems. So you've got like 
you know some of the original sounds and they don't have a keyboard player because it's all on the backing track and then you're playing guitar along and it's all on in-ear monitoring all that sort of thing yeah nice one and in terms of working in a function environment how did you find that how can you describe that because i know there's a lot of uh, times where you have a function a day where it's literally just waiting yeah um well usually because uh, because like i said I, I run one um and have been now for a while so i will be quite um clear with clients that um we, we're not going to arrive before 5 p.m unless there's an extra fee and um, um i'll also say that we only need this much setup time say 60 minutes 90 minutes and is there a way that we can kind of just arrive, you know, 90 minutes before we play? Um, and that saves the waiting around. Uh, we could even do a line check while, you know, you're in the next room or something like that. It, it depends on the event. So it, there can be a lot of waiting around, um, but I'm, I'm never really waiting the whole day unless I'm covering for somebody else. And sometimes it's been organized that way. Um, but you usually get paid good money if you're doing if you're all that waiting around. Yeah, definitely. And so with the function bands, you have the straight up pop. I'm guessing that's a relatively, not large, but quite a standard size. Do you do um, maybe smaller arrangements like duos or? Yeah, um, I do a lot of um, trio ones. Um, yeah. it, it really does depend a bit on the time of year for, for functions. So, for example, at the moment, uh january february march it's quieter with functions um but when i'm in kind of let's take a month like september where it's still kind of warm so everyone's still getting married and then you've also got um kind of almost like the new year where corporate um events are happening like it's there's still that feel of that kind of a new academic year and that that exists within corporate stuff as well so i can end up with six functions a week at that time of year it's i mean it's not like every week's like that but there'll always be september october like a week here a week there that's like six in a week and you usually you'll find on the weekdays then it's the smaller lineups um so i'll do commonly acoustic guitar vocals and double bass which is a really nice lineup because you can get the kind of the rhythmic element from the acoustic guitar you could probably do some slapping on the strings and stuff or the double bass can do a bit of slapping uh, i don't mean like slap bass i mean like kind of slapping the strings it's a bit different on double bass and you can get that kind of almost rockabilly kind of percussive sound um, it's, it's really fun playing with that and then I do duos as well um, I, I like that but um, I prefer having another instrumentalist there because yeah. um, I, I use a loop pedal for that um, I'll, I'll do solos without but so the energy doesn't drop then I use a, a Boss RC30 for that and I also do solo fingerstyle gigs as well for weddings and things like that. So the solo fingerstyle gigs, would you say they're quite popular? Are they quite popular with clients? Is that is that quite a, like a popular option people want? Well, um, it's something that I'm kind of getting more into, and we'll, we'll have to see how this year goes to kind of fully determine that. But um, I think there's there's quite a lot of scope to be quite individual with that sort of thing. So the way I'm doing it is not... Um, the classical kind of nylon string type thing, although I may well move more into that possibly. Um, it, it depends. Um, I'm doing more kind of the funky finger style 
type arrangements um and i'm also particularly i've done quite a lot of disney tunes on on youtube so what i'm finding is that uh people will get in touch through my website who are obsessed with disney yeah <laughs> uh you can kind of imagine brides who are obsessed with disney uh and then they are kind of wanting to know, oh, you know, what will it cost to have you come? Uh, I had someone say, can you come to Glasgow to play at my wedding? It's a Disney theme wedding. And in the end, they didn't have the budget. But um, but I am doing one in, a, uh, where is it? It's somewhere about four hours north of, um, of where I am. Um, and they're, they're paying me a lot of money because it's a long way to go. And they put me up for the night, but they, they want Disney. So Wow, that's, that's such a niche thing. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's great. It's really informative. Um, if that's cool with you, would it be okay to move on to what advice you could give to people wanting to get into a similar profession? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, are we talking about people who are at music college now or who are before music college? Uh, both, actually. Um, if we could start with uh, music college. Yeah. I know cause there are a lot of guitarists at music college, quite overwhelmingly compared to other disciplines <laughs> what would you say uh what to, to guitar players who find that there's a lot of uh, kind of maybe competition yeah or? well in in general there are quite a there is quite a large number of guitarists and i think mm. what um what advice would you give that would help people most stand out from the rest of the guitarists yeah um i I found yet yeah, the same that I think there were 59 guitar players or something ridiculous in my year. Um, but you would, you wouldn't really see them yeah. all. <laughs> you don't see them in the guitar lectures. Um, a lot, a lot of them I think were bedroom players. Um, if I think about who's actually making a living from music now, um, I'm, I, I think there might only be about two of us literally that I'm aware of from, from the year. I, I don't want to do, especially if anyone's listening, uh, to, to your thing, I don't know if it's going out on iTunes or whatever, I don't want to do anyone a disservice, but it, it was a tiny percentage of people who actually um, ended up making a living. It was more the drummers, actually, that, that there were a few more of. Okay, um, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, um, so so I wouldn't worry as much um, about the fact that there are a lot. It's more, are you going to be one of the ones who, uh, who do manage to make a living? And so one of the smart things to do to be honest is to just try and be versatile so that you can do different things so if you like to play rock and blues then it would be really worth playing some kind of more acoustic stuff as well or dare i say it the the j-bomb um look at jazz because diversifying what you can do um is is a massive is a massive help um, but if you're already very, very good at something and, and already getting some work within a particular sphere, like maybe the pop scene, then there's nothing wrong with just going all in with that and uh, and so on. But at some point, you'll be doing yourself a disservice if you can't do something someone's asking you to do. Yes, really good advice. Um, in terms of skills, like a skill set, what skills do you feel guitarists should have that you may feel there isn't a lot of so for example people will say oh i I really should be more guitarist that can sight read yeah um well i think that more important than the sight reading in terms of getting by with functions because because the the initial hurdle with functions is that there's about probably let's say 200 songs and it might be 300 um that 
are regularly done in different function bands. So you need to, at some point when you start doing them, you're going to get about a 40 song set list, maybe less. Um, and you'll not know very many of them. So you've got to learn all of those songs. So basically you need to have a method. Um, I realized this after having some really difficult ex- kind of experiences with being so overwhelmed with how many songs I had to learn and not sleeping in the week running up to the gig and stuff like that, especially if someone gives you the set late notice. So I, so I had to devise kind of a method that worked for me as to how to very quickly chart songs yeah. out and how to also very quickly memorize songs. Um, and what goes alongside that, even within functions, is sight reading. Um, I have an iPad which has all of the charts I've ever done on it. And if someone calls a tune on a function, um, or if I'm called into depth for something, they don't they don't usually mind me reading from my iPad. So I can just sight read any chart I've ever done for a function tune. I do them in Sibelius, and they just go on my iPad. Nice. So. I know a lot of people um, tend to get a bit frustrated, maybe because they feel they aren't getting enough gigs or they don't know how to get more gigs slash work. On a general basis, what tips can you give to help people get more gigs? Um, Well, I think you need to start your own um, project. So I, I found that when I got back from ACM, to um i went back to to live in cambridge um and i found that i didn't have as much on as i wanted or more specifically i was too dependent on certain people calling me particularly to do functions because things like theater work um even even the guys who are on the west end when their shows finish they will have a gap where they're not doing something so maybe they'll be depping on shows and stuff but it's you can't rely fully on just that thing so what I did was um, I kind of formed a relationship with a drummer who was who was in Cambridge, uh, and we uh, started a, a residency. We went round 23 venues, I think it was, uh, either phoning or going in, um, depending on kind of you know time and stuff. And we we like we'd film this video promo thing, which we put some money into, and we were showing them you know we're we're this great funk band. It was a funk thing. And we're going to uh, we're going to bring loads of people in on one of the nights where you're where you're quite empty. We're going to turn it into a good night. And so eventually we got one who was interested. It only lasted a couple of months. Didn't go too great. But then another venue got in touch, and we started a jazz thing there. Um, and that went for three and a half wow. years. And uh, and through that, um, it opened up some doors really because we could, you know, there was the two of us, guitar and drums, so we could book whoever we wanted to make it a four piece. So it could be saxophone, it could be trumpet, it could be vocals, uh, could be like kind of organ, like keyboard stuff. Um, and that helped us to meet and network with a lot of musicians. We'd get musicians from London every week to come and play so we could try different people out or, you know, keep the relationship going with certain people. And then they call you for functions and things as well. So that helped a lot. And at the same time, we started a function band in the Cambridge area and got on some online agencies and you know that's still going so great fantastic um would you say that being able to play a different instrument or being willing to play a different instrument is an important skill uh, guitarists need to consider having um it's an interesting one um i play some 
keyboard um but it's only to the point where it would be kind of simple pop stuff i think it's i think it's very worthwhile having that but um i don't play keyboard sort of really well or anything so uh i have been through phases of wanting to develop that and i've always found that it takes away from my guitar practice so um it's kind of if that's something that's already a strength playing other instruments then yes otherwise maybe just having a decent fundamental understanding of a keyboard and a bass guitar um when i get asked to because i i teach as well which is all sort of private um teaching they come to me which allows me to move it for gigs and things um i i have been asked you know to teach bass guitar and to teach ukulele and rubbish like that. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan of teaching ukulele. And I'll always say no to these things. Uh, one reason is the, the kid ought to get someone who's really into that because that will help them. And the other thing is, um, if I'm just doing that just to make money, then I'm taking away from my main focus. So there's a, there's a difficult tension there um, as to not taking away from your guitar yeah, practice. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And the teaching aspect, do you think it's something most musicians should consider doing? Um, The general consensus from, you know, talking to, um, you know, fellow uh, musicians who are kind of doing it full time um, is that some of them will teach and some of them don't teach. The ones that don't teach um, are honest with themselves that they don't have the patience for it. I've heard some, some of them say and other ones are just saying like it just really doesn't appeal to them. And then the ones who do teach will usually say um, like the sort of thing I would say, which is that if you are simply doing it just for the money and you don't actually enjoy it at all, um, then probably teaching is not for you. Um, but mo- most people, you know, like to kind of share what they've learned with people. So, so for, for most people, teaching a bit would be good. Yeah, yeah, it almost is such a rewarding experience, isn't it? Yeah, it can be. Um, uh, it, it can be rewarding, definitely. Um, but inevitably, students won't move as fast as you want. Um, you won't get the advanced students that you want. Um, uh, I, I didn't get any advanced students for about two years um, after college, um, and it's, it's not. It's not necessarily a rite of passage. It's just there's not that many advanced students who are going to want to come to you. Um, Mm. And it may be to do with building up your CV or it may be that there just aren't that many advanced guitar players about. Um, So, Okay, cool. I really appreciate you spending the best part of an hour with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. No, no problem. Um, Yeah, well, you've got your amazing, amazing trip coming up very soon. So that'd be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it should be good. Thanks for having me, Kieran. No problem. Well, thank you so much again and hope your tour goes great and I'll be in contact very soon. Cheers, Karen. Thanks very much. Nice one. Cheers, Dave. Awesome. Thought that was really cool. If you enjoyed that, next time we'll be talking to guitarist from Snarky Puppy, Mark Letiri. It was so much fun to talk to him. He's a really cool guy. I can't wait for you to hear it. In the meantime, head over to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com forward slash Session Central. Cheers for listening. See you then.